Welcome to Enriched Menopause, where perimenopausal and menopausal women can learn what's going on with their bodies and how to thrive during this stage and beyond. You are not crazy and you are not alone. I'm Dr. Jessica Rich. Let's do this together. Hello, and welcome back to Enriched Menopause. I've got a confession to make. I actually watched all of the Sex in the City reboot, and just like that, I was a huge fan of the original Sex in the City, and I was hoping for the same with the follow-up. Now, I know it wasn't as good as the original, and there are a lot of arguments you can make about how they did the reboot, but if you had this same guilty pleasure, then you may remember the episode when Charlotte Charlotte suddenly gets her period while she's wearing a white jumpsuit and painting and trying to teach her daughter how to use a tampon. Well, of course, this episode was made for comedy. Unfortunately, what Charlotte was experiencing is an all too familiar reality for many women going through perimenopause and that the periods can go a little crazy. And sometimes even when you think you're done, they can come right back. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about abnormal bleeding. We're going to talk about what can happen in perimenopause leading up to the end of your periods. And then we can talk about what happens with bleeding after menopause. As we discussed in episode two, typically your menstrual cycles will start by getting shorter leading up and into perimenopause. What that means is not that you bleed for less time, but that there's less time between the start of one period and the start of another. So if you were getting typical 28-day cycles, you may be down to more of like a 24-day cycle. After that initial shortening, most people will then start to get longer cycles or more spaced out. And and then they start to become more irregular. So you may go months without a period, then you might get a period, then you might get another period two weeks later. Sometimes they're heavy, sometimes they're light. Basically, the imbalance of estrogen, which is higher relative to progesterone in this time and quite erratic and up and down, can give you all of these crazy abnormalities. In addition to the irregularities that are happening with the hormones, many women are also experiencing other factors that are contributing to bad periods at that time. So things like fibroids and polyps and adenomyosis, and we'll talk about each of those as well. When you're having difficulty with your periods, the first thing to do, of course, is to see your gynecologist and have some imaging done and potentially some lab work done to see, is this an issue that's coming from the hormones? Is this an issue coming from one of those structural things, or is there something else going on? Of course, we want to rule out things like precancers and cancers of the cervix and uterus, which can be a cause of abnormal bleeding. But those tend to be a little bit less common in that sort of pre or perimenopausal time and more common after menopause. So generally, we would start with something like an ultrasound that would look for things like fibroids, which are growths in the muscle of the uterus, or polyps that are growths 
usually benign, but very rarely can be cancerous or precancerous, but small growths on the inside of the uterus or adenomyosis, which is when that glandular tissue that's like the lining of the uterus grows into the muscle of the uterus. And all of these things can cause abnormal bleeding. Typically, they're going to cause things like much heavier periods or more prolonged periods. Sometimes they will cause bleeding in between periods, but it's not really going to change the schedule too much of what the bleeding is. That's usually more the hormonal issues. However, if we can get one of those issues addressed, then it may kind of help the overall experience of your periods. So if you have an ultrasound showing that you have fibroids or polyps or adenomyosis, treating those issues either medically or surgically can help quite a bit. Now, most of those things will get better with menopause. So once you are officially menopausal, meaning a year without your period, of course, you're not going to worry so much about having bad periods anymore. But also, you know, fibroids tend to shrink after menopause and adenomyosis tends to get more suppressed with the decrease in hormones. Polyps are a little bit different. Those should be removed when they're continuing into postmenopause. But with these other structural things, they do tend to get better with menopause. But if you're in perimenopause, say you're in your early to mid 40s and you're having significantly abnormal periods, it may not really be worth it to wait it out until you get to menopause because that really could be five to 10 years away and you don't need to suffer for that long. So let's talk about some of the treatment options. So like I said, the first thing is figuring out why the abnormal bleeding is occurring. And if it is something structural like a fibroid or polyp, removing those can be very helpful. So removing a polyp with a simple hysteroscopic procedure, meaning a procedure where we go in through the vagina and through the cervix with a small camera to the inside of the uterus, we can remove polyps that way. We can also remove certain types of fibroids that way. And it's a very simple outpatient procedure with very minimal risk and very minimal downtime that can make a big difference. So if those are your issues, and that can be very easily addressed. Of course, fibroids in other areas can cause issues too, and that would be treated a little bit differently, either with medications, things like birth control, either in a pill or an IUD or other things to help manage the bleeding, or with procedures to either ablate, which sort of shrinks the fibroid in different ways, or to remove the fibroid surgically, or of course, you know, hysterectomy is always an option too, and that would definitely stop the abnormal bleeding but is a little bit more than some women need. Adenomyosis is a little bit trickier. That's when that glandular tissue is growing into the muscle of the uterus. And that can be treated with some hormonal suppression too, particularly an IUD that has progesterone in it is very good at that. But also surgical treatment like hysterectomy can be helpful for for this option too. Now, if you've ruled out the structural things, if there's no indications that there's polyps or fibroids or adenomyosis or if those aren't really your issue, then there are a few different treatment options that we can do for the abnormal bleeding that comes from those hormonal shifts. If it's something where you're just getting some abnormal bleeding sporadically, like maybe you go six months without a period and then you have like a really heavy, long period for two weeks and it was terrible, but who knows if it will ever happen again and you just want to have something there just in case, then there are a few different medications that you can take to sort of stop that 
you know, single episode of abnormal bleeding when it comes. And that can either be progesterone medications. Typically, we give a medication called Provera that you just take daily for about 10 days to stop it. Or medications like transexamic acid, if you don't want to do anything hormonal, this is a medication that helps with clotting. And these are things that, again, you just kind of have on hand to take if that bleeding gets really heavy or really prolonged. If it's happening more regularly, then you may want to be on something to regulate your cycles a little bit more. And this can be where things like birth control can help to transition women in this perimenopausal stage. And that can be something like a birth control pill, which has a lot of advantages because not only can it help to control the bleeding and avoid those really heavy or prolonged or irregular episodes, but it can also help with a lot of the other symptoms of menopause, the hot flushes and the mood swings and the sleep disturbances and all of those things. So a lot of women do very well with a low dose birth control pill or a patch or a ring or something that sort of works in a similar way where you're giving back some estrogen and progesterone in a more stable way. If you've had trouble with birth control pills or patches or rings in the past, then using something progesterone only might be helpful, something like a progesterone IUD or a progesterone only pill. This is going to help more with the bleeding and can help a little bit with some of those perimenopausal symptoms, but not quite as well as the combined options. But it is a good option for a lot of women. If you didn't want to do something hormonal, then again, there are some herbal supplements that can help. I know a lot of women who benefit from a traditional Chinese medicine approach to these herbal supplements to help kind of support and regulate the cycle. It's not going to make you suddenly, you know, have regular periods, but it can kind of decrease some of those erratic changes. Menopause is still coming for all of us, so it will still get a little bit erratic and will still go away, but these are things that can kind of help to smooth out that transition a little bit more. And then for those women who are having really heavy bleeding, who don't want to be on anything regularly like hormones or supplements, then we can do something called an endometrial ablation, where we basically use a device to sort of cauterize the lining of the uterus. This is a good option for for people who are having very heavy and prolonged bleeding, especially if it's been going on for a long time. It's an option that helps to decrease the bleeding for some women and may stop the bleeding altogether for other women. So it's important to talk with your doctor about whether this might be a good choice for you. There are, of course, risks and benefits to this procedure, and it can be more difficult to detect uterine cancers after this procedure is done. So it is important that you have an evaluation for pre cancers and cancers of the uterus beforehand, and that you talk to your doctor about what your risk factors may be for that uterine cancer to see if it's a good option for you. Now, generally after this erratic period of bleeding, most women will start to have less and less bleeding. Remember, it does take one year after your last period before we consider you officially at menopause. So you could go eight months without a period and then suddenly have one again and the clock just sort of starts over. But once you get to that time where you're one year without a period, that's that date when you hit menopause. And then any bleeding after that is considered postmenopausal bleeding. And this bleeding definitely needs to be evaluated for some more concerning causes, but it does have some very common causes too. Oftentimes I'll have women that really are just having a period at that one year mark. So 
maybe they haven't really had bleeding or they just had like a little spotting somewhere along the way for the last year. But then they get all of the symptoms like a period's coming. They may feel symptoms associated with ovulation a couple of weeks before the period. They may get breast tenderness and all of the other things. And then they have for them what's a normal period. Now, of course, we have to work it up for the sort of scarier things that can be in postmenopausal bleeding. But a lot of times we may find that this was just sort of the last hurrah or the last period. And for women in this situation, after we've ruled out the scary stuff, we just say, okay, your body didn't read the textbook. It didn't know that it wasn't supposed to have a period anymore after 12 months. And then we just kind of watch. And typically going forward, that's usually the last one. However, for those who are really truly having postmenopausal bleeding, there can be a lot of different causes for this. Some of the more common causes are things like that genitourinary syndrome of menopause that we talked about before. So that lack of estrogen in the tissue. This can especially cause bleeding in times where there is friction, like during sex or during a big workout where there's kind of friction on that tissue that's gotten sort of thinner and more delicate, and that can bleed a little bit more. This is usually not going to be heavy bleeding. Typically, it's more like spotting or light bleeding and may last a day or two or three, but not usually going to be that like heavy or longer bleeding like a typical period. Of course, like I mentioned before, we do have to rule out the scarier things that can be causing postmenopausal bleeding, and that's typically going to be things like cancers and precancers of the cervix and uterus. For cancers and precancers of the cervix, we rule this out by just doing your standard pap test. So if you've had a pap test within the last year or so that showed normal cells and no HPV, then you've already ruled that out. If you haven't, then we just do it at the time to kind of evaluate for that. To rule out endometrial cancers and precancers, we usually start with an ultrasound. When we're looking at that ultrasound, what we're looking at is the lining of the uterus. Now, of course, we're going to look for those other structural things like the fibroids and the poly- But we're also looking at the thickness of the lining of the uterus. And typically for somebody who's postmenopausal, to be able to rule out precancers and cancers of the uterus, we want that lining to be four millimeters or less. So pretty thin. Now, that doesn't mean that somebody who has a lining of five millimeters or six millimeters or seven millimeters has cancer. It just means that we can't really rule it out with the ultrasound alone. So I do have a lot of women who do not have bleeding who will come to me and say they had an ultrasound for whatever reason and they have this thickened endometrium. To be honest, we don't really know what that means if there's no bleeding. But definitely if there's bleeding and it's thicker than four millimeters, then we have to go to the next step. Typically, that next step is either going to be something called an endometrial biopsy, which is a small sort of straw-like device that we put through the vagina, through the cervix, into the uterus, usually in the office to take a sample of the lining of the uterus. If that can't be done or if that's too uncomfortable for somebody, then we may do a hysteroscopy, which means that we go in with a camera through the vagina and through the cervix into the uterus, which again, sometimes can be done in the office, but oftentimes is done in a surgery center or operating room with some anesthesia for comfort. When we're evaluating with either the hysteroscopy or the biopsy, we're basically looking for endometrial hyperplasia, which is precancer of the uterus, or endometrial cancers. And of course, if those are found, then that's going to require further treatment, typically with a hysterectomy and some additional treatment. But if the biopsy is negative or the hysteroscopy is negative, 
then we, with pretty good certainty, have ruled out the precancers and cancers of the uterus. Of course, those structural factors that we talked about before, particularly the fibroids and the polyps, especially polyps, can be more common in postmenopause as well. And for those, I do recommend removal, not only because they can help to stop that bleeding that's happening, which can be very annoying, but because we want to evaluate the polyp and make sure that there's no precancer or cancer in the polyp itself. In general, most polyps are benign, but there is about a 2% risk of cancer in the polyp, so I do recommend removal of those. Now, if all of the structural things look normal, if everybody is having treatment for atrophy and that's not the issue anymore, but there's still this abnormal bleeding, many times it can be due to medications, particularly hormone replacement therapy. Now, I know we talked about hormone replacement therapy back in episode two, and and don't worry, we're going to talk about it again some more, but we talked about mostly a lot of the benefits of hormone replacement therapy and the kind of long-term risks. But one of the more difficult risks with it is that it can cause bleeding. Now, Now, this bleeding isn't necessarily dangerous, but because it's hard to know what's bleeding from the hormone replacement therapy and what's bleeding from something that's precancerous or cancerous, it does require pretty regular evaluation if there is bleeding coming from the hormone replacement therapy. Now, sometimes if there's bleeding from hormone replacement therapy, we can just adjust the therapy, either tweak the estrogen or the progesterone or make changes to how that medication is delivered. And a lot of times that will be enough to take care of the bleeding. If it's not though, like I said, it may require a more regular evaluation with that endometrial biopsy or hysteroscopy or at least an ultrasound. Or some people do end up going for surgical management if this becomes a major issue and if they can't come off of the hormone replacement therapy due to symptoms or other issues. Usually I give women a choice at this point. Do you want to continue to try different hormone replacement therapy? Do you want to try to come off of the hormone replacement therapy and use something else to manage your symptoms? Do you want to monitor the bleeding with these different testing? Or do you want to consider surgery? And I have had some women who have had bad enough symptoms when they come off of their hormone replacement therapy and who have been uncomfortable enough with the endometrial biopsy that they've actually decided to go ahead and have a history hysterectomy in order to stop the bleeding and still be able to take the hormone replacement therapy without continuing to have that issue. Now, as we talked about before, once the hysterectomy is done, then we can change the hormone replacement therapy a little bit to do estrogen alone instead of estrogen with progesterone. And that does cause some decreases in risks of things like breast cancer and cardiovascular disease from that type of hormone replacement therapy. So it can be something that's beneficial, although it may seem like an extreme choice for some women. The bottom line is if you're having bleeding that is coming after menopause, that is abnormal and it does require evaluation with a gynecologist and it's not something that you should continue to suffer from in silence. If you're in that perimenopausal period and you're having bothersome bleeding, it's also not something that you should just continue to suffer from in silence. There are a lot of different options and a lot of treatment strategies out there and we want to get you feeling your best, ruling out the things that are scary to or catching them early so that we can treat them appropriately 
and getting you back into your life and into your perimenopausal and postmenopausal years feeling as best as you can. So if you're having this abnormal bleeding issue, don't wait. Call and make an appointment with your gynecologist today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and share with someone in your life who may benefit from this too. Remember that while I am a doctor, this podcast does not constitute medical advice and is for informational purposes only. Talk with your doctor about what may apply to you and your health. We'll see you on the next episode of Enriched Menopause.